scriptures can communicate different meetings at different times in our life according to our needs. A scripture that we may have read many times can take on nuances, nuances of meaning that are refreshing and insightful when we face a new challenge in life. When I stumble, I will keep getting up relying on the grace and enabling power of Jesus Christ. I will stay in my covenant with him and work through my questions by study of God's word, by faith, and with the help of the Holy Ghost whose guidance I trust. I will seek his spirit every day by doing the small and simple things. This is my path of discipleship. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me. Okay, so we have... John chapter one, and it's only one chapter, and I really like lessons like this because back in the Old Testament when we'd get like 12 chapters of begats and wars and stuff like that, that was a little rough, but one chapter about a couple of things was really good. Um, the whole introduction here of John talking about the word and all of that is is all, to me, it's a, an interesting approach to talking about Christ. And he's basically telling us that Jesus was called in the pre-existence to do this, that he was set apart, foreordained to be the Savior from the very beginning. And that it wasn't something that he came into, grew into, or took on during his mortal life or anything like that. And it wasn't something that, that Heavenly Father was like, oh, I guess Jesus can do it. It was from the very beginning. It was the plan, right? Um, and we know that based on other scriptures in the Pearl of Great Price, where we talk about him saying, here am I, send me, and stuff like that. But John goes about it in this kind of poetic way, talking about the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and all of that. And how it's like, not only was he a person, but he was also representative of God on earth in this way. And I, I really, I really kind of like how he goes about that. And I think verse 17 is really cool. Because it also talks about how he meant he was meant to be a transition, right? For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So here's the law of Moses. Everything's dictated in minute detail. Here's what you can and can't do. Here's how many steps you can walk. Here's what you have to wear and how to wear it. And then it was like, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Mercy came through him. Redemption came through him. And that, to me, is a, a very powerful few words in that verse, basically saying him coming to this earth and starting his ministry changed everything from then on. Yeah, I think another another thing that I that we learned from that beginning section was the it kind of ties Christ to the Old Testament, to Jehovah, that mm -hmm. they were one in the same. And sometimes there's a misconception that there's the God of the Old Testament who was ruthless. He was like 
no nonsense kind of guy, right? And he did all these calamities and punished people like an eye for an eye, right? And the offensive thing that occurs when Christ came and he told them, I am, I am, I am, you know, he, he who was before, I am Jehovah, I, you know, all the things that how he explained that he is the God of the Old Testament, that your fathers were looking forward to me. The part that's offensive is because he didn't fit the mold that they had created, the misconception that, you know, these this mosaic law was a very uh, punishing, brutal law in that they had built their society around it. And Christ came to show love, to show forgiveness, to turn the other cheek, to if he asks you for to walk a mile, we'll walk with him too. If he asks for your coat, give him your cloak also. You know, these things that were showing that you kind of miss the point and the love and everything the law of Moses was supposed to guide you to, this sacrifice and this love and kindness, you've kind of it hardened your soul, you know, you missed it, you know. And I, I think that's another reason why the Pharisees and those in power were so offended by Christ. And so, you know, how, how could this be, you know, because it kind of throws everything on his head that they thought about um, about the Old Testament and God and and it was Christ all along. And we also hear that Christ was the creator of this earth, you know, um, that and and then it, it adds even more power later on when Christ says, everything I do, I do because the father taught me that I'm here to show you not just my love, but the love the father has for you, you know, and we through the years and mistranslations and separations and time and cultures, we We've kind of had this Old Testament calloused God, you know, and that's not the case. That That is Christ, and he was very loving and kind and forgiving. And proof of that is go read Isaiah, you know, and you can really tell Isaiah pouring his heart out, showing how the Lord is so loving and caring and never turns away from his people and continues to deliver them and continues, you know, to, to be there for them. Yeah, I I think that the other part that was interesting to me uh, in verse 12 and 13, but as many as received him to them, he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And there's, there's some potential for misunderstanding there that only by accepting God, can you become a son of God? Um, to be clear, I think that there's two different distinctions here. All of us are children of God from birth. We're all children of God. Our spirits came from him. What I think it's saying here is like that, that rebirth of, in purpose, that baptism, and then rebirth in purpose to follow him, to become like him, I think is, is what he's talking about here. It's like, you know, uh, all the people that he was teaching were grown adults and they had lived a life already. And then he was teaching them Here's a new way to look at the gospel. Here's a new way to look at the life. Here's the new law. And then accepting that, being baptized and following him made them different. It made the purpose of their life changed from that point on. And really, even if we're being baptized at age eight, that should also be the perception, right? Your first eight years of your life, you were already a child of God. But after age eight, when you take on those covenants and you're baptized, to, and you take on the covenant to follow him, to be like him your purpose has changed. You are reborn with a new directive, right? To become more like the Savior, to treat others as he would. 
and to act as he would. And so that's kind of what I think it's getting at. It's like we're not talking about uh, a, a physical rebirth of the flesh or, or just in the will of man, but rather you're being reborn to be like our Heavenly Father in, in Jesus Christ. You're trying to be more like them every day. That's the new purpose you have. I really like that part. Yeah. The, the other part where I had a kind of a question was in the section where it says the father bears record of his son. So, you know, Christ goes to John the Baptist and it speaks a little bit about John the Baptist um, being questioned by the Pharisees, kind of like, hey, who are you? Are you Elias? Are you a great prophet? He's kind of, I'm none of that. I'm here to prepare the way for the Lord. And he's going to come and I'm not worthy even to tie his shoes, you know. And um, but then when Christ is baptized, you know, in Matthew 3:17, it says, and lo, a voice from the heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then there's several accounts. But then on verse on John 1, verse 17, where it says, for the law was given by Moses. Wait, verse 18. No man has seen God at any time the only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. And so the Joseph Smith translation changes that to say, no man has seen God at any time, except he has borne record of the son. And I was curious, like, what do you make of that? Because I'm thinking in my mind, it's saying that to see God, uh, or, or to see God, you would see him to the purpose that he's bearing record of the son. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What What do you think? Yeah, I was. That's kind of unclear to me as well. Um, when it says, let's see, is that in the footnote of eighteen? Yeah, of nineteen. No, of eighteen. It's Joseph Smith translation, verse nineteen. And no man hath seen God at any time except he hath borne record of the Son. For except it is through him, no man can be saved. I think what it means is, in some ways, I think, well, this is totally just my trying to understand this. Um, in some ways, I think you, the people who had seen God were people who were called to be prophets. And they had gone and preached and borne record of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And so you're not going to see God unless you're called to do exactly that. The other part of it is, I think, we see the influence and power of God through the Savior. So, just like we say they're one in purpose, they're one in intention, they're one in cause, um, when we see the Savior do things, we're seeing him as an extension of our Heavenly Father. And so, is it necessary for all of us to see God to know that he exists? No. We can see the actions of the Savior, we can see the actions of his servants and know that he exists. And gain a testimony of him too yeah okay you know the the first um scripture that it shares it's the matthew 3 17 where god is a voice from the heaven saying this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased the second one is in matthew 17 where he says while he spake behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and behold the voice out of the cloud which said this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased hear him and then it goes to Joseph Smith history, verse 17. And it talks about two personages standing, one one said, calling me by name, pointing to the other, this is my beloved son, hearing him. And, and, um, and so I think that's, 
I think what you're thinking is what I'm thinking, that it's it's God bearing record of his son and that through him, you know, uh, like introducing him, like this is my son, this is the savior. Um, and then Christ's mission, like I, I know Elder Holland had a really good talk about the role of Christ representing the father, you know, and, and um, it, it's one of the things to keep in mind is the Savior has in the scriptures, the Father, the Savior, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Trinity. There's various names for everyone, and they all are tied to a function or a, part, a characteristic that they have. Um, and that as we get to know their names, we get to learn more about them and what their mission is and what their role is with us. You know, because I find it interesting that it kind of begins with the Savior, with the Father introducing the Son, and then the Son introducing the Father and the Holy Ghost, and then ultimately when the Savior leaves his apostles, him saying, it is good that I should leave you. You know, it's better for you that I go so the Comforter can come, you know. Um, and, and it's interesting when I think about the Godhead and their three different roles, you'll see their roles throughout the scriptures, and it's interesting to think why why that is why why do they have three roles why is the godhead needed you know in the in the sense of you know we have the the father which is kind of the architect we have the savior who's kind of like the general contractor almost <laughs> these are maybe dumb terms then you have the holy ghost which he's kind of like marketing and advertisement you know <laughs> just kind of touches everybody and gets them coming into to the lord god um, it's interesting because, you know, he's out there baptizing and the Pharisees are not super cool with that. They they very much like to be in control of who can do what, especially uh, in regards to religion. And so part of their interrogation is like, what are you doing? You know, who who are you? Um, and then he's like, and I like verse 20, and he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. John knew his role, right? And was very humble about it, and but very direct. This is my job. Uh, and then when they kept asking him, okay, well, who are you? So we can tell people who sent us who you are. What what do you say for yourself? I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Esaias. And then they're like, okay, why are you baptizing then if you're not that Christ? Or nor Elias, neither that prophet. And then he said, I baptize with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is who coming after me is prepared before me, whose shoes latched I'm not worthy to unloose. Basically, he, basically he's saying, I'm only doing part of this. I'm only baptizing by water. And there's someone else coming who's going to bring the rest. And my job is to prepare people for that. And so I guess it's the next day that Jesus came unto him. And he said, as soon as he saw him, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, I am come baptizing with water. You know, it's interesting because other parts, other gospels go into more details about the actual baptism and all of that. Um, this one just says, And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but that he sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. 
And it's a little bit naive to think that, okay, the Pharisees at that moment should have realized this is him. Clearly, all the signs are there. He's got someone preparing the way for him, just like the scriptures said. The spirit descended him on him like a dove, just like the scriptures have said, just like we've been promised. This is clearly him. But once again, well, we said this many times throughout many books now of scripture. It's not these big things that really always testify and convince people of the truth. Some people come away from that saying, now I know. John, the apostle, did. Came away from that saying, I get it. This is him I'm going to follow. And a lot of other people saying we should follow him. The Pharisees were not going to be convinced in that moment that that was the case. And it was going to take a lot more for them on a personal level to accept this huge paradigm shift that Christ brought with him. And basically, their purpose and the need for Pharisees and Sadducees was going to be significantly reduced, you know, <laughs> because they were there to make sure everyone was upholding the law and, and enforcing things. And, um, and he was coming with a completely new law. He wasn't coming to say, no, now I'm in charge. He was coming to say, no, actually, everyone can do this, and it's a lot simpler than we're making it. And so, it I, I don't know. In some ways, I kind of have a little bit of sympathy for them in not immediately being like, oh, I guess I have to throw away everything I've lived my entire life for and just follow this guy now. Because I don't know that everyone would do that. I think that a lot of us would would react the same way and be like, who is this guy, you know? <laughs> One of one of the thoughts I had was, you know, when the when the Pharisees came to John, they kind of just wanted to know, give us the answer. But I think in their hearts, you can tell that they weren't interested in knowing or coming to know the Savior, coming to find a prophet, seeing if John really was Elias. They were more concerned out of a sense of self-preservation, and I don't want to change. And you are introducing change. You have something going on. What's going on here? You know, where it's very interesting how when the disciples come to Jesus. And in verse 38, when it says, and Jesus turned and saw them following him and said unto them, what seek ye? And they said unto him, Rabbi, which is master, where dwellest thou? And he said unto them, come and see, mm. you know, and then. The later in verse 43, in the day following, Jesus would go forth to Galilee and find Philip and said unto him, follow me. And and it's almost like their inquisition was to know. Who are you? What are you about? But it, it's kind of the same thing that the Pharisees were asking, but a totally different process. This was one where in Jesus, John answered the Pharisees by telling them exactly what they wanted to hear. Here are the words. Here's the answer. Jesus invites them to find out for themselves. He doesn't say, oh, who art thou or where thou dwellest? I am the son of God. Do everything <laughs> I tell you. No, it was come and see. Yeah. Because I think he knew them. I think that he knew that they were inquisitive, that they were looking. And there's no greater testimony than action. And and it's and I I love this because it's so like the Savior, and I always I like the story of the woman at the well because he says, "Woman, give me water," and she's like, "Okay," 
this is a lot of work, but here you go. And then, and then they start talking and then she finds that this man is different. Why do you ask me? Cause I'm Samaritan. I think she was a Samaritan and they weren't supposed to have social relationships or ask for her to give him water cause they were thought of unclean or whatever. And, um, and he rewards her kindness. And then he kind of prods a little bit like, hey, would you like water that you never have to taste again? I mean, you never thirst again. That you, and then they start talking, oh, I'm talking about the water of life. I'm talking about the gospel. I'm talking, and, and, it's, and then he tells her who he is. And it's so different than the leadership model that we have now in life where every leader in our societies is always trying to tell us who they are up front why we need to buy everything they're selling right away. Just subscribe, subscribe to my beliefs, subscribe to my ideologies. I don't need to prove anything. I just need to tell you all the nice things. And then people will cling on to that and then find themselves thirsting again, find themselves not happy or dissatisfied or lied to or beguiled uh, yeah. whatever, tricked. The savior doesn't work that way. Just in his invitations to come and see and they saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for he was about the tenth hour, you know. And then, you know, he speaks to John, follow him, blah blah blah, finding his brother. My favorite part is is starting at verse forty five. Um, Philip, who just been asked to follow me, right, findeth Nathaniel and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said unto him, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Like really? Nazareth and Philip said unto him come and see the same invitation is now being passed on right and then when Jesus saw Nathanael in verse 47 Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile like this dude talks straight like he's like who is this guy and how can there be something good coming out of Nazareth and Nathanael said unto him whence knowest thou me how do you know me like how can you talk like that about me Jesus answered and said unto him behold that Philip called thee when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Because he knew him without ever having met him before. And he knew where he was coming from. And Nathanael was like, all right, that's something different. That's something special there. And then I think uh, the, the cool part, you know, we've talked about how Jesus was like, come and see, come follow me, come and see. But then he does make a promise here at the very end. Jesus answered, said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He's telling them, after the fact, after they decided to come and see, he's telling them, now that you've committed to following me, now you're going to see what this is really about. Now you're going to see miracles. You're going to see things happen around us that you never would have seen otherwise. I, it's my hope that if someone's like, hey, what's your church like? You know, what do you guys believe? That I can confidently say, why don't you come and see? And then they can come to my ward and they can be like, wow, this is different. I like this. And not come and be like, oh, well, that was cool. You know, <laughs> like we should be living a, our best to live a lifestyle where if someone wants to know, it's just like, hey, why don't you come join me? I'm trying my best to be like the savior. That's what I'm trying to do. So come and see, come and come and participate with me and see how your life is different. That's I think the ultimate goal. Um, 
obviously we're immortal people. We make mistakes. We're not always on, you know, like that, but that invitation, like you said, it's not a, I have to tell you everything. Why, why you should, why you should subscribe to this church, you know, but why don't you see what we do? Why don't you see how we act and how we talk and what we talk about and what our concerns are and where our focus is? Yeah, I, I really like that because I mean, for us, our invitation would be for you to come and see, come read this John one, take you five minutes, you know, if that to read it. But then in the manual, it tells us whom can we invite right. also to come and see. And there's two things I think of. One is if when the Lord said to Nathaniel, before uh, before I saw thee while you were sitting in the, the fig tree, I saw thee. I, I took that to mean he knew him before this life. Like, yeah. I know you from the pre-existence. I know who you are. Um, and, and all of these come follow me and in a way were callings that the Lord was calling his apostles and come. And under that same calling, we are also have been called. We have been baptized. We have been given all of us, men and women, exercise the priesthood. You know, we we are his disciples. And so this invitation to come and see, go follow him, come follow me. All of these things we're doing is to come see the Savior. And there isn't. There isn't much that we can continue to see and learn from him that we won't naturally start inviting others because we cannot serve a master and not become like him. You know, he wants us to help others, to raise those around us. His example is the example we should follow. And so, you know, it's 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 really interesting to look at these chapters in that way and also know that if if Christ knew Nathaniel, before while he was sitting on the fig tree even before nathaniel had any idea that that i can perceive him i can i can't even hear his voice but how the savior's aware of me i think that all of the scriptures we have there are imperfections in the historical translations in the records in the editing and the compilation there's more scriptures we don't even know about and the book of mormon testifies to that but what we know and what is given to us the lord knows that that's what we have and if we have questions as we read the scriptures, we should ask ourselves, why would the Lord put this here? What am I to learn out of this? Because if he saw Nathaniel a long ways off, he knows us now. And our troubles and our trials and our concerns and our doubts and our questions, whatever it may be, he knows and he is also inviting us to come and see. And it's a gradual process changing our hearts is probably the greatest miracle the gospel of Jesus Christ does. It changes our heart, and but that's a process that takes experimentation. It takes time. Like Alma says, it's a seed we have to plant, we have to nurture. And and um, I don't know. I, I just really like the story quite a bit. You know, the John chapter one. I never looked at it in this way, the way that the that the the manual this year has presented to us, and it's it's a great learning. In our relationship with the Savior, he looks on the heart and is no respecter of persons. Consider how he chose his apostles. He didn't pay attention to status or wealth. He invites us to follow him, 
and I believe he reassures us that we belong with him. I testify that we grow in our discipleship when we exercise faith in the Lord during difficult times. As we do so, he will mercifully strengthen us and help us carry our burdens. The Savior knows your struggles in detail. He knows your great potential to grow in faith, hope, and charity. The commandments and covenants he offers you are not tests to control you. They are a gift to lift you towards receiving all the gifts of God and to returning home to your Heavenly Father and the Lord who love you.